You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So we hope that you're finding these videos helpful. Um, we also hope that you're reading through the Minor Prophets on, on your own and getting into it, because there's no way in one Sunday that we could cover everything that's in, in these prophetic books. So far we've looked at Jonah and Amos and now Hosea, and they're all sort of contemporaries of one another. That's why we are taking it in the order that we are, more of a chronological approach uh, to the prophets and their times and, and what was going on. And uh, yeah, he was right there in that video. Hosea is full of a lot of poetry, and I don't know about you, but poetry is kind of difficult. Uh, it takes a lot of, a lot of work uh, to understand what's being said there. But there is a narrative in there, and there's a story, and stories are a little bit easier for us to deal with, and it's a very important story. So we're going to be looking at that. I'm going to ask you to turn to Hosea chapter 3, if you have your Bible, your device with an app, Bible app in it, or steal a Bible underneath the seat, or as Brian says, snuggle up close to somebody next to you that has a Bible. And we're going to look at a very short portion of, uh, of this story together. Now before we go into the story, I need to tell a story. And it's not an easy story to tell, and there's a reason why I'm laying this, this story out. Uh, some time ago, when I was teaching at Rapid City Christian High School, during the summers I would, I would work for a construction company uh, for a friend of mine, who I'm actually related to, um, who ran the paint department in there, and he was one of the owners of this construction company. So in the summer, in the winter I would teach, and then in the summer I'd paint houses, which was great, because when you're teaching, you never know if you did your job. But when you paint a wall, okay, it's a different color. Did my job. <laughs> so it's kind of therapeutic. Uh, so that's what I would do. Well, after several years of that, um, my friend came to me one day and asked me, he says, I'm going to ask you something really, really big. Uh, I want you to leave your job at the school and come be my production manager. And I'm like, well, Okay. <laughs> well, he said, you know, I just really need your help to do that. And so we prayed about that and said, yeah, it seems like the timing is right for this. So we, uh, so we made that move, and I uh, became his production manager. And then our crew eventually whittled down to just him, his son, and myself. So it was really easy to be the production manager because, you know, the, the, the most troublesome employee was, was me. <laughs> so, but while we were doing that, you know, we, we observed kind of how the paint department was carrying the rest of the company. And it, there seemed to be an imbalance into how that was happening. So both this guy's son and myself would talk to him. We'd sit down and have breakfast together before we go out on a job, and we would talk to him and say, we think you really should just sell your part of the business and go independent as a paint company because we think that's going to free you up and it's going gonna, it's gonna to work a lot better for for you personally. And he, ah, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Well, after a couple of years, um, he finally made his decision. Now, something else that was happening right about that same time is he and his wife were having a very difficult time with their teenage daughter. Um, she was going through all kinds of rebellion and things like that. And it was one of those cases where they were just knocking their head against a wall and didn't know what to do. And so I offered my help again and said, how about if she comes and lives with us? And while you guys get things sorted out, um, maybe maybe we can help you out that way, and there can be some peace in your home, and we can work towards a reconciliation there. And, and he thought that was great, and, and so that's what we did. And then they made the decision to send her up to the Job Corps up by uh, Nemo, 
And I did my best to talk him out of that because I had instructors who worked up there and who knew this young lady and said, this would be a bad situation for her. We've seen it time and time and time again. But he said, nope, we're not going to relent. We're going to we're going to send her up there, and so they did. And so this young lady would come to our home on the weekends and stay with us and uh, um, have a pretty normal life during the weekends and then go back up to Job Corps. Well, she met a boy up at Job Corps like a lot of the girls do up there. And if you've ever been up to the Job Corps, there's all kinds of nooks and crannies for boys and girls to go do things that boys and girls probably should not do. And this young lady ended up being pregnant. About the same time as when my friend who I'm related to, who all I just wanted to help him, uh, came to me and said, I'm selling my part of this business. I'm going to go independent. And I was a little excited about that because I was looking forward to be a part of that crew. But then he told me it was just going to be him and his son and he was going to leave me to carry on the work at, at this construction company. I, I felt a little bit thrown under the bus there. And then a letter was sent out to all the family members pretty much tearing us all apart by this individual. And even in that letter, both Lori and I were blamed for his daughter's pregnancy for some reason. That makes no sense. You just don't understand. The only thing I can go back to is that apparently in his life he was hurting so deeply, so deeply that the only way he knew how to respond was somehow lashing out. And it ended up with a, 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 a schism, a separation between him and every member of the family and, and him and me. That happened many years ago, and I'll stand here and tell you today this is a tough story because we still have not figured out how to come back together again. Um, and and I'll t- I only tell this story because, um, you know, humanly and speaking here, that I felt like I had been backstabbed. Um, and I, like I said, thrown under the bus and blindsided. Well, that is the Hosea story. And I tell that story because I think that's everybody's story. I, I think I'm safe in saying that in some way or another, we are involved in a very similar story to that. In fact, I think the Bible would remove any doubt of that whatsoever uh, in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with other people. And uh, I think that's why it's important for us to to take a look at this particular chapter. But before we do, I want to read something from Psalm 55. The psalmist writes, It's not an enemy that taunts me. (laughs) Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me. Well, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. He goes on later to say, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And again, that's Psalm 55, a portion of that. Um, and, and, and that's our story. And the reason that's our story is because people have done that to us and people do that to us because people fail us, even the best of them. Um, even those that we might have considered our best friend or closest companion. And this happens because people are fallible. We're broken. None of us are perfect. Perfect. And, and this reality often comes out in the worst way and it, and it always hurts. 
And when this happens to you, there's only one recourse that the psalmist gives to us, and that is turn to the one who will not fail you. He says this in the 22nd verse of that of Psalm 55. Cast this burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will not permit the righteous to be moved. And, and you know it. If you've ever been in a position where you've been thrown under the bus, blindsided or backstabbed, that the only and best thing that you can do is say, God, I don't know what to do but turn to you right now. <laughs> because I'm not faithful. My friend is not faithful. Um, in some cases it might have been my spouse was not faithful. That was Hosea's story. But you are. And, and, and we need that. If, and I'm, I'm going to implore you with that right now, that if there is this story in your life and that kind of brokenness, and it really is brokenheartedness that results, um, now's the time to turn fully and completely to the Lord. That's part of what Hosea is telling us. But in chapter 3 of Hosea, um, we get the, the final chapter of this, of this narrative before we get into all the poetry and, and as the slide or as the video pointed out that this, this story about Hosea and Gomer are, is, is presented to us as a picture for Israel to understand the heartbreak of God. And this is why it's so good to be reading the minor prophets because if you read it to find out all the future events that are going to occur and whether or not a prophecy was fulfilled, then you're going to miss a lot of what these books are about because what these books are about are revealing the character of God to us. And Hosea is rich in showing us God's heart. And and we see in Hosea that it is a, a, a broken heart. This is the the last part of the story. We already know that he was told to marry a woman who um, was a a woman of adultery, a a faithless spouse. They had children together, and she kept leaving him. And, 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 you know, I can't think of a greater heartache for a spouse than that, to, to, to have to endure that sort of thing. And this was God setting up the picture of his heartbreak for Israel's idolatry. And they're constantly fading away from him. And we might even take it to make it relevant for ourselves. Is How often do we do that? How often do we bow down to God on a Sunday, but then we bow down to another idol of our own making? Success or, or riches or wealth or maybe even our job. <laughs> and we worship that along with God. And that's exactly what Israel was doing. And we, we don't understand how much we're breaking God's heart. So God does something really drastic in showing us this through the story of Hosea and, and Gomer. And it's, it's a fascinating thing. I think that slides up about the cast of characters. Is that right? Is that the right slide up there? And it's really fascinating because the name Hosea in the Hebrew is Yeshua. Uh, Joshua of the Old Testament. That was his name, Yeshua. Jesus of Nazareth. In Hebrew, that's his name, Yeshua. It's just pretty cool that God actually picks a guy with the same name as the Savior who would bring salvation into this very broken situation. And then we have Gomer. And if you grew up in my generation, who do you think of right away? Jim Neighbors, <laughs> Gomer Pyle. Well, Shazam, man. <laughs> and it's, what a funny name to give a girl, you know. I don't think I've ever met anybody. You know, what are you going to name your daughter? Well, I'm going to name her Gomer. But it's interesting that in the Hebrew, her name means perfection. And when you read the story, you can see that she is nowhere close to being the perfect wife for Hosea. But it's an interesting thing how God works this together, and there can be perfection when salvation 
comes into the picture. And so Hosea represents God in his relationship to Israel. Gomer represents Israel. Uh, it goes so far as to talking about Jesus and, and us today. So a fascinating cast of characters. Well, I think most guys would have looked at Gomer and said, you know what, you're toxic. That's a, that's a word our culture likes to use a lot in relational issues nowadays. Everybody just becomes toxic, so what do you do? You walk away from them. And we have become a society, we have become a culture that cannot have any, any kind of civil discourse with one another because it's just easier to call somebody toxic and walk away from the situation rather than face it and deal with it. God could have said that to Israel. You guys are just toxic to me. I'm done. <laughs> Hosea could have said that to Gomer. You've got to be kidding me. How This is destroying our family. Our three kids are growing up watching you run off with other men. Why would I want anything more to do with you? And he's just saying that out of his heartbreak. And God says this in chapter 3 to, to Hosea. The Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Apparently that was the big draw to Baal worship. They got a great raisin cakes there. He says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and lethek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. And so will I also be to you. And basically what he is saying is, is I, I have purchased you back now from the slave market. Now you must remain faithful to me and me alone. And I will remain faithful to you and you alone. It goes on verse 4. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So here's that, that story of God doing a work to restore rebellious Israel back to himself, but he's using a story of Hosea and Gomer, and maybe he's using our stories too in this in some way. And we have this incredible picture of, of Hosea finding Gomer on the slave market. Okay, this is, this is where her adultery has led her. She's in captivity. And the only thing that can change that is if a price is paid. And we just read in the text that, that, that he paid that price. And when you look at it, it's like, okay, I've got some silver here. Uh, I've got some barley here. Maybe if I can scrape, that's about all I've got. I'll just scrape this together, and, and I'm going to go purchase her freedom with that. And that should be a mind-blowing story to us. I mean, who does that? Who, who takes that kind of abuse and that kind of a relationship and, and, and says, I'm willing to give you a second chance. Well, God does that. He does that with all of us. And, and he says, and I, and I'm willing to pay the price for that to happen. So Hosea, the story of Hosea, or the, the Hosea story, is really a chapter of redemption and reconciliation. And we just saw that happen right there. And we should know that because of Jesus Christ, there is always hope for reconciliation with God. But there's also hope on the horizontal plane of reconciliation with a faithless person in our own lives. We might even call them a betrayer. 
When we've been reconciled to God through Jesus, the hope of reconciliation with other people is more than likely going to be dependent upon us. And that's the part we don't like. Wait a minute, I was wronged. They're the ones that got a handy up, not me. But when we look at the picture of Hosea and, and, and his relationship with Gomer and God's relationship with Israel and Jesus' relationship with us, we, we realize that sometimes reconciliation is, is up to us, the one who's been offended. And you can read through the Bible and you'll find reconciliation stories all over the place. I mean, Jesus and Peter, that was a reconciliation that happened after Peter denied Jesus and Jesus came to him and fed him fish and said, now will you lead my church? Paul and John Mark. Paul didn't want to have anything to do with John Mark. I don't know what happened, but apparently John Mark just deserted him on a mission trip and he said, oh, I'm done. No more of that. And that even caused a split between him and Barnabas because of Barnabas' relationship with John Mark. But if you continue reading through the book, or through the, the New Testament, you're going to see that, that Paul found John Mark as a, as a good minister and faithful partner in Jesus Christ. I don't know what happened to make that reconciliation occur. I just know that, that it occurred. Paul writes a letter to a guy named uh, Philemon to reconcile him to a man named Onesimus, a runaway slave. And probably the the most beautiful one is the story of Jacob and Esau. Have you read that in the Old Testament? These two brothers who really acted like brothers? Constantly at odds with one another? Constantly angry at one another? One of them kind of the big dumb dope and the other one being the sly conniving con man? You know, taking advantage of his big brother? Uh, You know, that, that happens all the time, right? But this led to threats of murder. To the point that Jacob said, you know, i got to split, i got to leave the country, i got to get out of here, because Esau, he wants my hide. Well, eventually, you know, God used that to change Jacob into a different man, and then he let Jacob get conned and cheated by his uncle, and he decides, I'm, I'm done with this uncle, I'm going to go back, and on the way back home, he gets a report, he goes, well, Esau, while you were gone for the last 14 years or so, Esau has raised a, a pretty mighty household around him, and he's heading our way with his army. And when you read the story in, in Genesis 32, it's, it's fantastic. You see, you see Jacob's knees start to knock together. And he's like, this is not good. So he gets real strategic. He says, okay, first of all, send a whole bunch of goats, a whole bunch of ewes, a whole bunch of rams, and some camels, and and, and send that gift ahead of us to appease my angry, angry brother. Because he knows he's wronged him. (laughs) And then he says, okay, now let's separate the family and, and, and spread them out so that if they attack, at least some of my family might survive. And he continues his way and as you read on, there's, there's Jacob and there's Esau and they're getting closer and closer together and pretty soon they're face to face and Esau just takes a dead run straight at Jacob. And you would think, based on everything that Jacob did, it was the running start to take his head off. But instead he falls on him and embraces him, Jacob to him and, and weeps on his shoulder. And it's that picture of almost like the prodigal son, my brother, my brother whom I've lost has come home to me. And, and Jacob's kind of like, oh, you know, well, wait a minute. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, he says, please accept my gift from my hand. And, and, and Esau's like, you don't even have to do that. You don't even have to do that. 
But but Jacob says, no, please take this. He says, because when I saw your face, it was like seeing the face of God. Isn't that amazing? This interaction that happened between these two brothers in such an incredibly, seemingly irrevocable, broken relationship. And they come together and cry on each other's shoulders. And they say to one another that like seeing your face is like looking on the face of God. That's the beauty of, of a reconciliation happening. Uh, unfortunately, their descendants did not carry off in that. That reconciliation ministry is a stewardship that God has given to us. Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Hear that? God reconciles us back to him by not counting our offenses against us. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, redemption and reconciliation is accomplished only when a cost has been paid. Hosea paid the cost to reconcile and redeem Gomer. Jesus paid the price to reconcile and to redeem us. He didn't wait for us to say, well, okay, let me see what I can do to make it up to you, God. And a lot of us fall into that pattern. We fall into that trap that, oh man, we've offended God with our sins and everything else. He wouldn't even want to look at me unless I start cleaning myself up and I start living a good life and all these sort of things. And and that price is not sufficient. God says, man, you have to die on a cross for for what you've done. And and you have to bear the responsibility of your sin on your shoulders for for what you have done. You you have to suffer eternal separation from me for what you have done. Can you pay that price? And we're all, nope. Don't have that in the bank account. But God says, that's all right, I'll pay the price. I'll take that cross. I'll take the weight of all that sin. I'll bear that separation so that you can be redeemed and reconciled back to us, to God. You see, that is the heart of the gospel there. So what is happening here in this story with Hosea and in the gospel of Jesus Christ is we're seeing God taking the amends theology of the Hebrews and turning it upside down on its head. We might call this the amends amendment. Okay? Um, We have the idea, and the Jews had the idea as well, from their laws, like let's say, for example, John Wilson owned an ox, and Carrie Schmidt owned a slave, and John's ox, for some reason, broke loose and ran over Carrie's Carrie's slave and killed him. The law would require you to make amends. You'd have to pay for that slave. It basically come to about 30 silver pieces. That's the price of a dead slave. Oh, That was the price that Hosea had to pay for Gomer. She was as good as a dead slave to him. 
but yet he scraped up the money <laughs> to see that that price was paid. Oh, that was the price that was paid for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was as much as a dead slave to Judas. But he collected 30 silver pieces for him. It's pretty fascinating when we see the, the Old Testament and the New Testament really tell the same story and have been weaving together, helping us to understand this for a long time. But what happened was that the Jews did what they did with a lot of laws. They started adding laws to it. And, and they still hold this to this day because of the Holocaust. Many, many of the Jewish survivors of the Holocaust are unable to forgive what was done to them because it was up to the Nazis to make amends to them. And we go, that's right, that's just. But what happens when all the Nazis are dead and you're still alive? And there's no way for them to make amends to you. What do you do? Well, the only thing you can do is to do what God does and says, I'll pay that price, I'll forgive. I'll forgive without requiring you to make an amends to me. See, Jewish tradition held that, that you could only be made right with God or another person both vertical and horizontal uh, platforms there, uh, the, the, the one that you have offended, if you uh, attend to the law of the amends, all right? Um, amends are made when compensation for the harm done has been paid. The word amend is the root of the word, or comes from the same root of mending. So I'll use knitters and quilters and sewers and and whatnot. Uh, Mending means to repair something that has been damaged. So you see the the point behind the amend, the making of amends. It's to repair something that was damaged. But we get it all backwards and we think, oh, the person who offended the other person is the one who has to make the amends and then then we'll take care of it. And Jesus Christ totally blew that idea out of the water in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, some beggar comes up to you and says, "Can I, could I have your coat?" And we'd probably think, "Well, no, you should go get a job and buy your own coat." But Jesus says, "Give him your coat, and then take your shirt off and give that to him as well." A Roman soldier comes up to a Jewish lad and says, "Hey, the law says that you have to carry my duffel bag for the next mile, and there's nothing you can do about it. So pick it up and let's go, Jew boy." And you'd think that, you know, I got a knife, I'll just put it in his back while I'm walking along, along with him. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to blow that out of the water too. He says, pick up his pack, go a mile, and then go another mile. You see, that's, that's the law of Jesus making amends. It's, it's us paying the price rather than waiting for the other person to finally come around to their senses you know, and come groveling to us and, and say, I was wrong. God did not wait for the faithless, adulterous, idolatrous sinner to make things right. He paid the price himself. In essence, he was saying, I am paying this price to make you my own. I love you that much, even in your brokenness, even in your faithlessness, even in your idolatry, even in your adultery. I love you that much that I will pay that price. That's the heartbreak of God. Hosea did the exact same thing. He went to Gomer and says, I'm willing to scrape up everything that I've got here to to somehow pay for this. That that is the, 
the heart of the gospel. You know, I, I keep thinking of that picture where he's going, okay, what do I do? I have to redeem her. How much? 30 silver pieces? Oh boy, let me see what I've got. Have you ever been someplace where you're like digging for change so you can pay your bill? <laughs> you're getting pennies and everything out because you were short on them. You didn't have your card or your checkbook with you or something. And you're just, I mean, that's basically what he's doing. He's desperately scraping money together. He says, I've got 15 shekels of silver. What? That's not enough? I've got some barley. Let me go get some barley. You see the picture of what he was doing? He says, I will do whatever it takes, no matter what it costs me, even if it's everything that I've got to redeem this woman back to myself. Because in that message, we see the heart of God pumping in the heart of Hosea, which says, I have paid everything that I could, Gomer, to make you mine again. Would you make me yours? And that's how redemption and reconciliation occurs. When we realize the extent that God has gone to show Himself as the lover of our own souls, we should have no other desire in our hearts than just to say, God, I just want to make you and you alone mine. Totally mine. God, you have made me yours. Now I want you to be mine. Because I can never pay you back for what you've given to me. Other than just to say, I'm yours. There it is, the heart of the gospel, told in the story of a man named Hosea and a faithless wife named Gomer. And as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, now that we have this ministry of reconciliation, we implore others to be reconciled to God. And I would say that if you're in some way separated from God right now, I would implore you, be reconciled through Jesus Christ. Let God make you His very own and let Him love you lavishly. You might think you never deserved it. You might think you've done things that say there's no way God would do that. But you see, that's how great God's love is. It's greater than all of our sins. But I'd also say this, that if we have the ministry of reconciliation, I would implore you that if there's someone that you have a broken relationship with, someone who's become toxic to you even, that you would at least make the choice to say, whatever it takes, whatever I've got, even if it takes everything I've got, I want to reach out to that person. I want them to have the opportunity to come to me. I'm not going to wait for them to do that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means that I have to do, but I have to do something. Because this is the practical conclusion to this whole idea of reconciliation. Um, We must be reconciled to God, and if we say we're reconciled to God, then we should be at work reconciling other people. Because a price always has to be paid. And the price that we're paying if we're not being reconciled is to continue walking in pride, in hate, in resentment, in, in, in bitterness, and in anger. And i got to tell you, that stuff tears our souls apart. It's a way more costly price to endure that than to say, I'll do whatever it takes to reach out and extend friendship to the one who betrayed me. That's not easy, is it? I'm not quite sure how to do it. But I can't read through this story and understand the heart of God and ignore it. 
I, I have to take some sort of action. If I go back to the Sermon on the Mount, here's something that Jesus said. You have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subjected to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subjected to judgment. And whoever insults a brother with, uh, whoever insults a brother um, by calling him a fool will be brought before the council. Whoever says that you're worthless to me will be sent to a fiery hell. Jesus doesn't mince any words about that. You see, because when we hate, we're actually murdering somebody in our heart. And He says, I can't let you get away with that. So then, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your gift. You see, Jesus says, your worship, your observance of things like the Lord's table are not as important to me as you first going and being at peace with other people. And you'll see that several times in the Minor Prophets where God says, I don't like your songs, I don't like your sacrifices, I don't like your festal gatherings. What I desire is mercy. What I desire is mercy. Go and show mercy first, then come and present your act of worship. Jesus went on to say, reach agreement quickly with your accuser while on the way to court, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the warden, and then you will be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. See, even Jesus said there's always a cost. And the cost of not being reconciled is draining you of everything. Putting you in a prison making you powerless, making you without resource to really be effective in the kingdom of God. And there we remain in that prison of resentment or bitterness or hate or unforgiveness until the last penny sucked out of us, the last bit of our soul maybe. So I implore you, and I implore myself, be reconciled. First to God, and then to the brother or sister uh, who might have thrown you under the bus. I'm going to pray, and then in a moment we're going to have communion. And I hope you understand that that communion represents the price that Jesus paid for you and me. He paid our price through his body, through his blood so that we might be restored in a relationship with God, that we might be made His own and then make Him our own as well. Uh, That's what this represents. And we celebrate open communion here, so that means you don't have to be a member of the church or anything like that. All All we require is that you've done business with Jesus, that whatever's going on with you and God, that you've you've made that, you know, clear through repentance or whatever uh, to God. That's it. But I would also say, don't come up to leave your gift at the altar if you need to be reconciled with somebody. 
maybe right now before coming up for the bread and the cup, you can in your own heart say, God, I receive your reconciliation, your redemption for the price that you have paid for me. I'm willing to do the same for others. I think if, I think if you really mean that, you with a clear conscience can, can take communion. But if you're not ready for that, I would probably say let the, let the table sit. Let the table sit. God will wait, but He won't wait long. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the, the greatest command that You gave to us, summed up in every law that we find in the entirety of the Bible, is simply this, to love You with everything that we've got, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our body. And right along with that is to love our neighbors as ourselves. In essence, we're also told, Lord, that, that, that we only love you as effectively as we, we love the least of these in this human sphere. Um, God, we're called to love. We're called to give more than is asked of us. And we cannot do that apart from Jesus Christ, who gave us so much grace. Lord, you gave us more grace than we need, so I'm assuming the leftovers is that we might extend grace to others around us. And maybe, just maybe, Lord, as we do that, people actually see the gospel in action. When they see us willing to humble ourselves and lay ourselves down, that we might restore a relationship, they see a picture of what you have done. And maybe that's all it would take, Lord, for them to finally go, that's what it's about. That's how it works. But Lord, if I remain bitter, if I remain angry, if I continue to resent my brother, if I continue to make this list of why he deserves not to get mercy or grace from me, then then Lord, I'll never demonstrate the gospel to him or to others. So Lord, show me what steps I must take. Show me what words I must say. Show me what action I can take to pay whatever I have to pay that this man and I could be friends again. And Lord, I know it may not be the same. And I know in some cases in our brokenness, it's, it's really broken. But Lord, let it be at least up to us to be at peace with all people around us. Let us at least do whatever we can to give them the opportunity. So Lord, thank you for loving us. We lay our lives down to you. We we give back to you all that you've given to us. We pray, God, that you would take our meager gifts of ourselves and that you would cause your kingdom to increase and to grow in this world that we live in. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.